Welcome to the Coaching Talks Podcast, your inspirational moment to continue your growth journey. How can we adapt our teamwork to a virtual environment? Today, we'll talk about how to work virtually with distributed teams with the VP for Trust and Transactions in Adevinta, David Gill. And now, relax and enjoy. Welcome back to our show. This is Mark Siles speaking today from my office at home. The actual coronavirus situation we are going through is testing our society and companies to new limits. I recall a few times uh, when doing a scenario simulation work with a few clients that the situation where the whole world and businesses were to be stopped due to a global pandemic was always assessed with a very low probability. As a consequence of that evaluation, very few companies have had contingency plans or even invested in enhancing the skills needed to organize distributed virtual teams and work under the kind of environment we find ourselves at the moment. Many companies have stopped temporarily traveling and on-site meetings, which opens an opportunity to develop new digital skills to work with high-performance environments in a new format. And with this, I don't mean how to have Skype meetings or video calls to discuss concrete problems, but how to deploy an agile project, for example, or have a full workshop session using digital tools. We were thrilled to see the response towards the free webinar we organized the last week and extremely glad to have received such feedback from the participants. And because of that, and to try to help further with this topic, We thought that it would be a good idea to talk with a field expert that has been working with teams distributed around the world and using digital tools. To talk about how to work with distributed teams and manage priorities across businesses, we have today with us on a video call from his home office in Barcelona, David Gil. David is the Vice President for Trust and Transactions in Adevinta, previously Shipstead Marketplaces. Adevinta operates in France, Spain, the UK, Italy, and Austria. His focus in Adevinta is to find out how to increase trust in the experience while facilitating transactions by removing barriers for the users to buy and sell successfully. David is responsible for three product teams working in Barcelona and Paris, respectively. Their work is to support Adevinta's marketplaces through deep collaborations with their teams that are located in the various countries where they operate. This means that remote collaboration is part of Adevinta's DNA, and after four years of experience in this setup, they created a list of very valuable insights about what works and what doesn't. David, welcome to our show. Thanks a lot, Mark. Happy to be here. It's great to have you with us today, especially in the situation that we are all facing. We are looking forward to hearing your insights and advices. But before we start the interview, let me ask you, what are you truly passionate about? I would say that professionally, at least, I'm I'm very passionate about making uh, striking this perfect balance between having teams that are high performing on the one hand, but also highly engaged in the sense that they are happy, that we have a high level of camaraderie and that we really make work uh, something enjoyable and something that each of us grow in. So finding that balance between, you know, delivering very good results by also building a a sense of unity and and strength as a team. That is what I do at work and that's what I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about. It sounds very good, especially linking the balance with the situation that we have at the moment. And that will be my next question, right? What is, how is that passion linked to what the world needs at the moment? Yeah, no, it's a good question because obviously uh, uh, trying to build healthy teams, uh, that's a challenge, even if you're sitting together in an office. Uh, you know, if you, if you have all your colleagues, you know, at arm's length in the same physical space, uh, there's still a lot of work that goes behind building high-performing teams. So when the situation changes, like it's done now with the COVID pandemic, Mm -hmm. uh, obviously we also have to think, okay, how do we create these teams? How do we nurture these existing relationships in a remote setting? And uh, it's partially a new challenge for us. Uh, I, for the last four years, I've been working with teams remotely. And that is both my own teams being distributed in different countries. 
and also the teams we are working with or towards have been in other locations. So while I'm happy to be able to rely on some of some of that experience, this is certainly a quite drastic change uh, because all of a sudden uh, everyone is remote and everyone has to adapt to this new dynamic at the same time. But that just makes the challenge even more 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 exciting, right? That's correct, especially thinking about that these tools that we have available have been there for a long time. But somehow many of us were waiting for the right moment or, you know, well, many people were telling me that what is the point? Like, anyway, I'm going to go to work. But now suddenly this has happened almost overnight. So somehow we are forced yes. to go deeper yeah. into understanding how to use those tools. Before we go into that uh, dimension about how to use those tools and which advices we could give to our audience about uh, that part, let me ask you on what you were just talking about. Let me ask you about having teams distributed around the world, because it seems to me from our previous talks as well offline that you have a lot of experience, as you have been mentioning already for many years. So which are the main challenges we are facing at the moment and other teams you think might be facing when they will now try to work with distributed teams? For sure. I mean, uh, this is uh, just to give uh, uh, some, some context to the listeners. Um, the way I work in, in Adevinta is with uh, a set of, of uh, product development teams. So, so these are, we're a tech company. Uh, we're building uh, marketplace uh, solutions for, for users around the world. And Adevinta setup is quite unique in the sense that each marketplace is a strong uh, local business. And then in addition to that, there is a set of global teams that work in order to support and help these marketplaces win. I hence have three teams, um, two in Barcelona, one in Paris, and we are working with a range of different marketplace teams around the world. It's a very exciting setup in the sense that we're exposed to many different uh, cultures, many different teams. Uh, at, at different stages of, of, of product maturity, and for us, this is something where, you know, we, we've had to learn how to uh, have the biggest possible impact mm -hmm. in this scenario where we have to work with multiple teams at the, at the same time. And also adding to that is, of course, that each of these marketplaces, uh, while we all belong to the same Adevinta family, they have their own objectives and priorities, right? So this is a setup that is quite different from, from other uh, technology companies where you might have one technology stack or one solution that is being built centrally and rolled out. Um, in Adevinta, we say that we want to be more local than the global players, but also more global than the local players. Uh, while it's our competitive advantage, it's also something that puts extra requirements on, on us as global teams to learn how to, to work together both between each other and also with other, other uh, marketplace teams. So in terms of main challenges, I would say that there are, there are three things uh, in, in summary. The first is that when you work with teams that sit in another uh, part of the world, there's a communication uh, asynchronization, right? You have, while you have many tools today, like Slack and, and video conferencing systems, Confluence, Jira, whatnot, what you don't get when you work remotely or those conversations before and after the meetings, right? The conversations at the coffee machine, at the lunch, maybe <laughs> exactly. when you go out uh, together. Um, and in my experience, those conversations, maybe more than any others, are the ones that truly matter in order to determine the health of a collaboration between teams, right? So there is, there is certainly this challenge of, of not being physically able to read and communicate as fluently. There's also the fact that when you work in writing or even on video conference, our, our ability to communicate is very limited. Um, we know that, for example, the, the nonverbal communication is, is, is critical to, to how humans interact and understand each other. That's right. Excellent And point. even with this, yeah, and, and even without, uh, or even on a VC setting where you see uh, each other on a screen, through, you know, just a lag or, or you know, a slight delay, it gets much harder to, to detect, you know, tensions, confusion, uh, frustration, 
in each other, right? So it is, it is, uh, it is a challenge, and it requires us to adopt communication style and and recognize the limitations of video communication as a as a tool, um, and also things uh, like satire, you know, <laughs> not a great thing to to <laughs> to to try on Slack, and also it's generally harder for people to to express themselves. The second challenge. I would say is about goal setting and alignment. And this is especially true for organizations where the different teams involved in a collaboration, where they might have slightly different strategic objectives or slightly different ways of measuring success. Right. Okay. So I think this is the this is for me the the hardest part to get right. Uh, I think there are things around, you know, DC and Slack that helps us prepare and, and helps us get better at communicating on, on, on VC and on, on Slack. However, goal alignment and, and goal setting and the, and, and the interplay between organizations, that's much harder for a single individual to do. I think that the one point that you just made uh, to make a clarification, which I think it's an excellent uh, dimension for our listeners to keep in mind, it's the, what you said before about the difficulty to understand the meaning of the words and how much is lost yeah. and the potential for misunderstandings and conflict. So to pay a special attention for that one. And then at the, at the same time, what you just said about goals alignment, how do we make sure that what we are working at the moment is aligned with the other teams and with what the company needs at the moment? And what would be the third one? Exactly. So the third one is that dependencies in general become much more costly when you work uh, distributed, right? You, mm -hmm. There's... Uh, if you have a dependency with another team or, or multiple teams, as is, as is common in software development, there, the, the setting up, following up on these dependencies is not as easy as just walking down to those guys in the corner. You actually have to set up, uh, you have to find a space in the agenda of that other team. You, you know, you need to put them in the right context. You need to share what you're working on or, and why that is important to get resolved right now. It gets costlier, right? There's no world without dependencies. Um, however, there's certainly um, the impact of it is slightly higher when you work remotely. Could it be that uh, the more interaction you need to have, that it also slows down a bit the pace of the evolution? So agile development and the agile methodologies may become a bit challenged by this situation. Absolutely, I think that's bottom. I think that uh, the 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 biggest risk is if you have two teams working with each other remotely that has established a high sense of trust, the routines and the, and the rituals for how to work in together is at a high level. But if any of the two teams have a strong dependency on a third team that is not as mature and maybe experienced in this, that can actually grind the whole collaboration to a halt and it creates uh, frustration and overhead. That, that you want to avoid, right? So it's very important to map the dependencies and be very even more proactive on them uh, when working remotely as when you work in, in person in a physical office. I'm wondering if there are any opportunities that we can enjoy thanks to these challenges we have just covered. Absolutely. I think uh, there's a reason why I've now been working almost four years with remote teams, and that is because I enjoy it. I've seen it work. Uh, I think that it offers some uh, opportunities that you actually maybe don't even get in the traditional way of working together. So, so for sure, this is uh, there, are, uh, there are a few opportunities. One of them, it actually comes to the leadership and the culture of the company because what happens when you have uh, multiple teams working remotely with each other that is that there's no way of a single manager or leader to have full control and visibility of everything that's going on so there's no even if somebody has a tendency toward you know micromanagement or you know the typical command and control old school leadership if you call it like that there's simply no way for them to exercise this kind of leadership they are actually forced to truly trust and empower their teams right because they uh, in these settings and the complexities around it 
only the team can actually uh, effectively communicate with each other. So as a manager or leader, it would be very hard for you to have a view of, of everything that's going on. And I think this is ultimately good for the team members themselves, for the leaders and the organization as a whole, because when you have this approach team leadership where you actually realize that what you need to contribute with as a leader is the the big picture the direction the measurement of success if you want if we can agree on that mm -hmm. and then trust the teams to sort out the how and and ideate and discover solutions it will actually help us as an organization to mature and to be more more higher higher performing so that's for me is the, one of the biggest opportunities that remote work actually accelerates this journey onto becoming a more trusting and high-performing organization as a whole. And trust building is a key element to generate results. So that opportunity to when the whole situation gets better, then it's a good way to build, even to create, as you were saying, a high-performance environment to be able to create even better results in the near future. Absolutely, uh, absolutely, and and uh, I think that. Another big opportunity is that you can actually do more focused work. Uh, this is maybe a bit controversial, but there are studies showing both for and against uh, the open space offices that we're used to today. And uh, what I'm hearing is just now, we're now Wednesday, the 18th of March. This is just two days after our first week here in Barcelona started with remote work away from the office. I'm already hearing comments about, hey, this is much, uh, I can work much more effectively and, you know, there's less distractions and I'm getting more <laughs> stuff done. So this is not to be underestimated. And, and I think it's a, it's a benefit that is much harder to realize if you're sitting in a busy, you know, bustling uh, open space environment. Mm -hmm. And I also think that another opportunity around, uh, around this is that if we talk about the future work and the tendencies in the job market as a whole is shifting away from the traditional you know nine to five um, working experience that people maybe traditionally had and we are trying to maybe build a, a working uh, or working opportunities that is more suitable for people with special needs or different lifestyles i think that a remote work can be much more accommodating uh, accommodating for this uh, for people who choose to work half time they might choose to live outside of the big cities in order to spend more time with their families or you know to nurture hobbies and 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 interests that they have outside of work i think as we get better at remote work we will also be better at accommodating and other lifestyles and other career choices uh, than, than we might have seen in the past. So this is also a big, big opportunity with this. It's more of a longer term tendency. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, in a, in a few decades, we will look back and, and, and question how why we were so obsessed with coming into the office between nine to five every day, right? Of course, it's not all about do we work only from the office or do we work only from home, but what it would be the right balance and how to have a blended, uh, blended solution for also depending not just the company, but as well the individual, as you were mentioning a while ago, each of us have a different type of needs, different lifestyle, mm -hmm. different family situation. So this is a good opportunity to test and balance those options. Let me pick into a bit more your experience and your insights. Which kind of advices would you give? Which things would you say to our audience that should be keeping in mind at all times when they are working with virtual teams? Right. So I think it's important to to recognize that remote work is not just jumping on, you know, Skype or Slack or whichever collaborative tool you have and expect that things would work from the get-go. Um, I've seen teams operate at a very high level remotely, but that requires an investment and some upfront work to succeed, right? You need to be there's a few things you need to, to think about here, and it's a lot about establishing what are the practices that we want to have as a team when working remotely? This is this comes both to you know what are the agile or or uh, team ceremonies that we want to have? How often do we have it? And there are things around how we communicate with each other. If you take a chat tool like Slack or Microsoft Teams, there is a lot of good practices that you can do and learn from in order to optimize your communication. And this can be 
you know, from uh, fairly big things as to deciding, you know, what are the different meetings, what, what do we discuss in each meeting, to, you know, simple things as in how do you communicate with each other in writing. I just saw this, an example that is we're encouraged to say hello and hi on Slack, which uh, we've now started doing every morning, and it creates this sense of familiarity and, you know, checking on each other. When you send a personal message between each other, I saw, saw this observation that what some people do, they say hi, another person says hello, and then the person has to wait for the message that the person, the original person actually wanted to send. Whereas the best practice would be to say hi, and within the same message include what is the, what, what is the hmm. thing they need help with. These small things that might seem insignificant, but over a year's time, um, can actually start having quite a big impact on the productivity and the, the efficiency of a team. So having, you know, uh, uh, etiquette and good practices around how you communicate on VC, um, on chat, how you work with calendars, for example, make sure that other people can modify your calendar invite in case something needs to be rescheduled, uh, having open calendars in order to be able to see and, 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 and understand how, how important other meetings are. You know, there, there's, a, there's a lot of these small tricks that, uh, you know, when you add them up, it can actually make a difference between remote work being frustrating and, and annoying to something that can actually feel quite liberating because we optimize and, 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 and uh, you know, really strive for making it as easy as possible for everyone. And now that you're saying that, that opens a great opportunity for transparency as well, because if you do that, it's, a, it's another way also to help with the goal alignment, the challenge you were discussing before. So uh, transparency, I, I assume that is one of the main components of uh, or elements for high performance teams, right? Absolutely, I think we have uh, we're very strict on on in Adelinta to try to avoid as much as possible uh, private conversations on Slack uh, unless it's truly something personal between two people. We should always strive to have these conversations in open channels so that other people can uh, tie into to the conversation and, and listen to it and use it as a reference. We encourage uh, our team members to change the calendar visibility option uh, to open so that uh, you can see the calendar not only when somebody's busy or not, but actually what the meetings are about during the day. Uh, of course, sometimes you have the other meeting that you might not want to disclose, but then you can change that. But really try to default to open, make sure that all the shared documentation, be it on you know, Google Docs or Confluence or Jira, and make sure that by default it's shareable with everyone. So yeah, this the transparency uh, is extremely important. And I think the easy rule of thumb is default to open, right? Like unless you have a reason to reduce visibility or something, just mm -hmm. put it open at default, right? Um, I, we have some other things to, uh, that is a good practice. And that is that it, it comes back to the topic of trust and, and, and the limitations of communicating effectively on in writing and on video. And that is, if you feel that a conversation on, let's say, Slack, something is unclear or the discussion is not moving forward, just stop the discussion there and jump on a video conference, right? And try to resolve it there where you get this added nuance of, of, uh, mm -hmm. of body language, etc. If the same thing happens there, if you see that the discussion don't go forward and, and, and you sense that there's a tension or, or an elephant in the room that we're not able to detect and, and work with, then I would actually encourage to the degree where it's possible, make the trip, take the flight, take the car and have a face-to-face -face meeting. Uh, it's important that, you, that as soon as you sense that the conversation isn't moving forward, that you change tactic and, and, and gradually increase the degree of communication until you resolve it. Excellent point. Um, and then I think it's it's also important to, um, when it comes to goal setting processes, for example, that uh, one, when you start working together two teams between something, beyond the, the, the obvious pieces of making sure that the why is clearly understood, why are we doing this, why do we choose to do this project together, what is it that we're trying to achieve, what does success look like, and obviously the, the aspects on how, how will we be working together going forward. I would also recommend that do the physical kickoff, right? Uh, remote work is great, but it does require that level of trust to be established. And it's 
much quicker to come together for two days as a team, uh, face-to-face, you know, uh, maybe combine work with some fun and then go back uh, to each of our offices and then work remotely. Um, I've seen collaborations where this kind of physical kickoff did not happen. Sometimes for cost reasons, because it's expensive to fly someone over to, to another country. Uh, obviously, in these times, it's not even it's not even possible. But you know, th- there's a resistance of maybe going, you know, to having two teams meet each other. Um, many times, what happens, especially if it's a you know a high high risk, high stakes project, is that if the trust isn't there between the teams, you will start paying that consequence as the collaboration goes on. You will notice that people don't speak out about blockers. They feel uncomfortable sharing uh, feedback uh, with each other. And all of a sudden, you start running into delays, you start running into frustrated teams. And when that breaks the, the initial planning you might have made on, on, a, on the timetable, you're going to regret that you didn't uh, invest in those extra flight tickets and hotel nights. Because I've also seen the opposite where teams, having had that initial kickoff, you know, putting faces to names, going out for dinner and, and some drinks together, uh, one showing the city of the other team, um, that just creates something that that you cannot do over VC and Slack. It's just not uh, possible. So I would encourage to uh, remote work, uh, do it, it's possible, but whenever you're able, make sure that you boost uh, the the trust up front by, by meeting in person. I recall one case I had last year with a customer that actually they couldn't travel on site. So they had some internal restrictions. And at that stage, we had to have the kickoff virtually. And I recall that uh, at that stage, uh, of course, it was a big challenge. But one of the main things I did with them is that even the breaks, the coffee breaks, we planned for that. So they were taking place online. We had lunch together. Also online. Awesome. Uh, there was even this game. I created this geo geo tagging game. So uh, I checked where they were around the wall, and they all had to complete some tasks. So they had to go out, play this game, and the other team. So the other part of the team couldn't go ahead if the other member hadn't complete his or her task. So then virtually also they were finding their own way to talk via WhatsApp calls, and with the GPS it was easy to follow up where everybody was was at that moment and which kind of task they had to complete and how to get support from teams around the world to to do that. So. Even if that's the case, there's a lot of uh, creativity uh, ideas that you can use and also good opportunity to use your innovation and come up with those games. How would you do that if you couldn't have the opportunity to travel? How would you, would you also have business games that you have to walk and move? How to have those social moments, those conversations you have been talking about, but still have them uh, during that session? And another thing that came to my mind uh, with the client I was just talking yesterday about this is the situation that having all these virtual meetings, how easy it is to book your agenda fully. Yes, exactly. And then suddenly there's not even time for lunch. There's no time to take a break. Uh, because it's one meeting after the other. It's so easy to eat a quick sandwich uh, in front of the computer. So also how you plan for these small breaks, make sure that you take the time to eat. And then during lunch, you can connect with somebody if you want, but to chit chat, not to have a meeting. And then not to book like one hour meeting, one after one hour meeting, but what about 55 minutes? At least you have a five minutes time to kind of uh, slow down and, and take a break. So it's also a good opportunity to be creative and, and have fun with the situation. I think it's awesome. I, I, I agree. I, I absolutely agree. And I really like the idea of, of in, in the situations when you're forced to to only do the kickoff virtually, to really find those ways, right? And I, I've seen this week, again, people are really uh, getting creative, right? I've, I've, so far, uh, again, we're just <laughs> two and a half days into the, to the first week mm-hmm. of home office. And I've seen now after work, uh, beer uh, over VC, so literally people connect to a group VC with a beer, um, especially popular now on St. Patrick's Day. Um, there was a pyjama party, uh, that I didn't participate in myself, but I, I applaud the initiative. And we're seeing things, and, and also more, you know, simple things that what the team in Paris did was that they have their stand-ups um, every day. But they realized that uh, before that stand-up, what they tend to do is to, you know, go to the coffee machines together, chit-chat a little bit. 
which of course is not possible to do now during this period. And, and what they did instead was that they said, you know what, let's start to stand up 10 minutes earlier in the calendar. Let's extend the invite to that. And let's have the 10 minute of coffee chit right chat there. before we start with the normal stand up, mm -hmm. right? And, 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 you know, that's uh, this small creative ways of, of keeping the team spirit and ensuring that when we talk, we don't only talk about work. I think it's, uh, it's fantastic. It was really inspiring. hearing on what you're saying is that preparations are key not just for the facilitator or the manager but how each one of the team members uh, do the pre-work how do they understand right away what is going to be about the whole meeting and then after the meeting the ritual meeting is finished how the follow-up is done how to use those virtual platforms to continue doing uh, doing work with it and then using the the face-to-face -face time doing the, doing the video calls to uh, talk about disagreements or just decisions that need to be made and that takes me to one very critical point uh, on this uh, dimension of it which is like how can teams manage to prioritize and understand what is important yeah, this is a, this is an excellent um, question, and I, I I think that the the goal setting and the prioritization is really one of the that's hard wherever you go, right? It's hard in a small startup where everybody's sitting together in a in a shared space, and it's equally or more hard to do when you distribute teams around the world. So I think that here there's a few things that one needs to to keep in mind. The first one is to really have uh, clarity and here this comes back to leadership right your strategy or even back to the company's purpose or vision or 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 whatever you choose to call it and the mission and the strategy this needs to be intuitive if these are just you know empty words in a slide or maybe written on the walls of the office there's a big risk that they won't do their job and their job is really to guide people, right? So that people in the many small decisions they take during a day, the strategy and the mission is there to work as a heuristic, to help you choose between two mm -hmm. options, picking the one that is best aligned with the with the company's overall direction. So I would say that it, it really starts with there having this clear line of sight between why the company exists, what we're trying to achieve in the coming years or this year or this quarter and work yourself backward from there. So it's it really um, requires leadership to believe and constantly communicate about these things. Uh, otherwise, they, they, they easily become meaningless. The other thing is about the goal setting per se, because, of course, mission and strategy, those are many times fixed documents and you, you set them and you might you know, revisit it on a quarterly or a yearly basis. But of course, what does the, the weekly work look like and the daily work look like? So here, what we work with in, in, uh, in Adelinta, we work with many of the teams with objectives and key results, the OKR methodology, which is a way of really leveraging what I said before about ensuring that the role of the manager is to set out the direction to prioritize the big focus areas and then empower and trust the teams to figure out the how and the what, right? So this is something uh, where I've seen that if the different teams around the organization share the same understanding about literally how you define objectives. So in the case of, uh, of the OKR methodology, it's obviously about setting, you know, a uh, ambitious uh, objective and then quantify this with individual key results uh, where the important thing is naturally to set outcomes over outputs. It's not about a deliverable you're going to produce or releasing a certain functionality. It's about the business outcome uh, or the user benefit that you want to realize. And it's been uh, surprisingly powerful uh, to see uh, the effect of actually aligning on the same methodology ensuring that you have the same view on goal setting methodology that is very important and that could be for example to align on the OKR methodology which is not something that happens overnight this requires deep participation not only by the teams but the leadership in Adelinta we're seeing that the real power of OKRs uh, and and this kind of outcome way of working 
the trick is not necessarily to encourage teams to do OKRs. It's the leadership of the organization that needs to, to buy into this methodology and ensure that it's applied throughout the organization. If it's only reduced to something that a few teams do, maybe in product and technology, then you're not going to reap the benefits of it. It's really when the whole organization uh, aligns on this, this one way of, of measuring uh, and, and setting objectives. So that one, is, uh, that, that one is extremely important. Talking about goal setting in the same way, having it crystal clear what success looks like and having systems set out for or, or checkpoints in time when we mm -hmm. come together and discuss objectives and when we don't, so that you know you give the teams the sufficient time to work on their objectives. Uh, that's extremely important. I believe that the OKR methodology you were mentioning now, uh, made uh, famous by by Google and developed by Intel, if I remember correctly, adds a huge advantage on this situation. As you were saying, it forces to set a very strong sense of direction and an ambition of what the team wants to reach. What is the company uh, the company goals and main key results they want to achieve, but then also leave the autonomy for every team and individual to decide how do I want to contribute to that higher objective and at the same time, what do I focus now in this stage? Keeping that dynamism, that agile thinking that if something changes next week, I have the freedom also to adapt as well. So to choose and pick up what's important now, I think that's a great way to solve the issue of how to prioritize. And at the same time, as you just mentioned, make, making sure that everybody is using the same methodology, making sure that the alignment is there, not just on the way of thinking, but also the way of executing, creates a huge difference between a big mess, a big chaos, or a big success. Absolutely. And uh, I think that this here is also important to recognize that uh, both, as I said, that the, the organizations involved and the teams involved, they need to align in quite good detail about how they get objectives, right? So let's say that you want to use the OKR methodology. Mm -hmm. It's very important that there's a high understanding and the same interpretation of what OKRs mean for the organization. Uh, and it's also important that all of the participating teams adhere to the same way of looking at it. Because as with any methodology, uh, I'm sure that OKRs in Intel and in Google and in Advinta respectively, they have their own flavor, right? And I think it's important that each organization, as with anything, as with frameworks, as with tools, um, you need to to understand it and you need to adopt it and you need to make it yours. Um, there's a, there's no silver bullet and OKRs is, is another one of those. We've been experimenting for this for, for years um, and it's actually not until now that I see at least on a company level that this is starting to work. And that is mainly driven uh, by the fact that this is being recognized as something that the entire company needs to, to use. So what is traditionally uh, OKRs has traditionally maybe been applied in Advinta, something around product and technology. We're now seeing that this is equally valuable for, you know, sales, for customer support, for finance, um, for people and comms. And this is something that, you know, um, something as important as setting goals and direction uh, that actually needs, something needs to be organized uh, from the company leadership. And, and the way you set goals uh, is certainly one of those. And I think that this is also something that requires a lot of patience. Uh, it's easy to uh, look at other companies and see what they're doing, uh, maybe reading a case study or a, or a blog post and, and feel that, you know, this is spot on. I can, I can apply this tomorrow and everything will magically <laughs> work better. Um, uh, OKRs are very hard. Uh, remote work overall is very hard and it requires practice, right? Uh, you need to fail a few times and learn from that before you will get it right. So I would encourage everyone who, who is looking into either adjusting to this new situation of remote work or, or are curious uh, on how to leverage, say, OKRs to, to set direction of, of companies and teams, to be patient, be agile. Agile in the sense that you, you need to recognize that you're going to screw up a lot in the beginning. Mm -hmm. People are going to be annoyed, frustrated. Things are not going to work out as you want. And that's completely normal. Uh, the important thing is how do you action and, and react to those failures? Do you treat them as learnings? Do you check in rapidly and iterate your way to success? Or do you get frustrated and disappointed? Uh, I think here the answer is you need to iterate, you need to test, and you need to be very humble. 
talking about agile mindset and agile deployment, how can we organize our teams in a virtual environment to deploy this type of way of thinking, like, for example, in a sprint weeks or any other type of agile methodologies? So there's a few uh, things that I think help uh, both, both yeah, any teams, really, but let's say for, for remote teams, I think you need to be quite clear on, on the work organization of choice. If you're going to use Scrum or Kanban, that is not so important. Uh, what is important is that there's a high degree of understanding within the team and with the stakeholders of the team on how you, how you would like to work. Um, and this is not something that happens automatically. So here I would encourage teams to discuss internally. Uh, you should do team retrospectives every so often in any case, but you can do a special retrospective, particularly around how you work together as a team, what has worked well, what would we like to change. And once you decide on adjustments, and it should really be adjustments, seldomly a huge pivot is going to work. Many times you need to, to iterate yourself to success rather than big switch and hope that everything will work. And once you decide this, it's important to be uh, transparent about what this means for your stakeholders, right? Will it mean that you deploy new functionality at a certain frequency? Will it mean that you communicate, you know, uh, learnings and successes in a certain way? How does the stakeholders like to be involved and informed about this? So it requires some, some upfront work uh, in order to, to make it happen. Of course, you need tools that support you and the team in this. In a remote setting, it's things like having a good VC setup, having a good routine for how you do stand-ups, right? You need people that can uh, firmly remind everyone that some topics we can take offline and we shouldn't go into detail. What's a stand-up for those of our listeners that haven't heard about it before? Ah, absolutely. So stand-up is, is for me one of the most important rituals in, in, uh, in product development. And it's the meeting that you have normally at the beginning of the day where the team comes together and do a quick round the group and you basically answer two or three things. Uh, generally, it's about, you know, what a few words about what you did yesterday and, and uh, a few words about what you're planning to do today. But the most important question to answer is, is there anything I'm blocked with? Is there anything that others can help me with? And really visualizing those impediments within the group, that's extremely important. So this is something that's commonly done in, in product development teams. Uh, which, of course, then includes the, the product manager, uh, the engineers, designers, analysts, and, and many times also business developers. Mm -hmm. However, I've seen this work in senior management teams as well. So where, uh, for example, the team I belong to, we've now, during this week, started doing the stand-ups uh, in the morning. And it's something extremely useful to maintain both an understanding of, of what my colleagues that I usually might chat with over coffee in the coffee room uh, what are they up to? And most importantly, is there anything that they need that I can contribute with? So the stand-up is something very important uh, to, to make this work. going on to the onto the technical part and more on the technological which some of us have been exploring and wondering sometimes which tools and platforms would you recommend that our listeners or anybody that is interested to start to improve even not just because of the actual virus crisis but just in general which tools which platforms should they take a look at Right, uh, I'm happy to share a little bit the stack we use at Adevinta. And uh, I, I also appreciate that some companies are locked in uh, with vendor agreements to other providers uh, than the ones I mentioned. But uh, in this day and age, there's usually an equivalent solution available, maybe with a different name, but with similar capabilities. But uh, a few words on, on what we use in Adevinta and the tools that I find the most useful. Um, I would say that Slack has really revolutionized the way we, we work in, in Adevinta. Uh, we relied obviously a lot on meetings and emails before and Slack is just much more efficient way of organizing information, conversations around different topics rather than around email threads. It allows for people not only to collaborate more effectively, but it also creates this natural 
remote spaces where you can share frustrations and funny animal pictures and whatnot. For example, we <laughs> we now have a group in Adelinta in or a channel on Slack that is for the parents that are now at home with their children in the remote world <laughs> and you know sharing you know their best advice uh, how you know they organize the day to uh, make it work both for their professional situation but also for the family situation. Uh, funny pictures, etc. So Slack, Slack is an important piece of this, and this would, I guess, be uh, Microsoft Teams if you're in the Microsoft ecosystem. I also believe that uh, Google um, Docs or the, the the G Suite of of collaborative spreadsheets, presentations, and documents are extremely useful. It's the best way of co-creating uh, these kind of documents. Uh, I know also that the Microsoft. Uh, suit of, 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 of applications offer this functionality. There are also some other uh, tools that might be more specific to product development or software development. That is uh, Jira, which is a system to manage the tasks that people are working on. And you can uh, use any kind of, of agile methodology uh, or even waterfall for that matter if you do more uh, prone to that, uh, to organize the work and create a clear paper trail of who's working on what, what are the dependencies, and uh, so Jira is important for that. Um, then there are things that I've struggled with that I've seen just in the recent years, and that is sometimes you just need a whiteboard, uh, and uh, whiteboards are sometimes hard to uh, do do uh, online and remotely, but I've seen more and more good options for this. There's a tool called Miro, and another one called Realtime Board, um, and and Google are actually they also have a product release called the Google Jamboard, and uh, these are these are simple, more or less simple tools that allows you to actually work together in real time on on a, on a virtual uh, whiteboard, which is very uh, useful when you're working with different kind of design documents, either of systems or, mm -hmm. or actually of, of user interfaces. And then there are some tools specific for designers and, and uh, developers uh, that we use in, in Adelinta, but these are more specific for, for the field of, of work that we are in. Excellent. I think that's a good set of tools. And from my side, I've also been experiencing with Housepace. One of the main challenges I noticed when facilitating virtually is that some of the teams may not even be in the same time zone. Mm -hmm. So then having also other type of tools that allows you to prepare in different time zones or even to allow inputs uh, from different time zones and create this virtual space when sometimes there is no the opportunity to meet face-to-face uh, -face via video, but still you want everybody to if they cannot participate during the video session, they still have the chance to add their thoughts and share what they think that they, you know, things that could be done or their ideas and then allow the rest of the team to process them and then for them to follow up later on what has been going on. I think that's one of the main things you are referring to. The transparency and allowing everybody, even if somebody cannot connect, sometimes also we have technical difficulties. Suddenly the, the line drops and you cannot connect via video, but you still want to get engaged. So these kind of tools, I find them exciting because still the phone allows to follow up the session, even if you are completely cut off from the computer. So to create that engagement, to create that opportunity for the worst case scenario. Well, of course, the worst case scenario is that nothing works, right? But as you that the <laughs> <Exactly>. phone line, <laughs> it's still on and the 4G connection is on. So yeah. these other tools allow you as well to follow up or Slack, you know, it still allows you to follow up on the, on the conversation. David, just before we finish the interview, is there any other advices or tips that you would like to give to our audience? Yeah, I would like to uh, really reinforce this message that there is there, there are no silver bullets. I think that uh, you need in your organization to try many different things. You need to be humble and conscious about many of these things won't work from the get-go. So you need to have a very humble and open mindset. You need to be iterative. You need to do frequent check-ins with your team, what is working, what is not working. Use that feedback and, 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 and get better over time. And this is, as with many other things, something that needs practice to make good. And uh, you should keep this with you as you, as you go in uh, to, to any of these change processes. And uh, I would also encourage you to spread the word. You should ask around in your organization. Many of the things that I've been talking about today are not necessarily things that I have 
firsthand experience of, or I discovered, these are actually things that other people in the organization have learned and tested. So it's really a collaborative effort. And, and I want to thank everyone in, in Adelinta for providing such good ideas and, and inspiration for how to handle a situation like this. And, and I encourage you to use your organization, speak with your teammates and hear what, what their ideas are to make work uh, work work also in this environment that we're in now thanks a lot david i think it's been great to hear your advices especially from the practical point of view it's very rare at the moment to be able to meet somebody that has so many years of actual experience not theoretical or book experience but actual work done on the field so everybody that is listening to this podcast can understand what can they do to start working with it and then also see the advantages of the situation that we are at the moment, regardless of all the setbacks and difficulties that we may experience. So I'm sure that there will be a lot of good learnings that we get out of this. David, thanks a lot for your time. It's been a pleasure to have you with us. And I'm sure that after this podcast, you may get a lot of requests asking for more detail from some of our audience. Thank you very much, Mark. Happy to help. So that was all for today and thank you very much for being a loyal listener. Let us know if there is any topic you would like us to cover down in the space for comments. Have a great rest of the week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to our bi-weekly podcast. And remember, this is about spreading and sharing the knowledge. So feel free to forward this audio to anybody you believe could get any benefit out of it. Coaching Talks Podcast, your inspirational moment to continue your growth journey.